podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Twisty Twisty is a game where someone bounces a ball on a table with the idea of making the person at the other end drop it. You have probably played this game before. You just didn't realize or know in any way that it had a real name, if Twisty Twisty is a real name. It's the sort of thing that a couple of kids do when they have a ball inside and little else. In the mid-1890s, a part-time bowler and first-class batsman played this game with a friend. And it was during this time that he invented the BOSI, or wronging, or googly, and they've been using it ever since. Welcome to Double Century, the podcast on the history of cricket. For this episode, we're talking about the greatest delivery ever invented, the wrong one, the wrong end, the bosey, the googly. I'll be using all of these terms because I'm random like that. Just when you think you know which way I'm going, I travel in a different direction. Bernard Bozenke was the man playing Twisty Twisty over a hundred years ago. He was from the English elite. He went to Eton and then studied at Oxford. That's doubling down on your elitism. His father was the sheriff of Middlesex. His life sounds wonderful. I'm sure his servants farted rainbow milkshakes for him on demand. Actually, come to think of it, I'm not sure rainbow milkshakes had been invented at that point. But the darling little posh boy could bat. In 1900, he made three first-class centuries, and he could bowl part-time off-spin as well. So he represented Oxford first and then played for Middlesex as an amateur. Plum Warner once took Bozenque to the USA for a tour. Another time, he toured with Ranji. He was selected for the gentlemen versus the players, which essentially was like an all-star game at that point. But he wasn't destined for greatness. He was a good middling cricketer. He would have had a nice career and probably a fabulous time while doing it. But then he had this ball, this magic delivery that went the other way and that would end up being attached to him for the rest of his life. Overarm bowling was only legalized in 1864. And that was after many, many people tried to fight it. And not normal people, but the most important people in English cricket. They had also, before that, fought against round-arm bowling. So you can imagine how basic bowling was at this point. Fred Spofforth, really the first true swing bowler, wrote that he didn't really understand how he made the ball swing. Spin and swing were so intertwined at this point that many bowlers were really hybrids or mixture bowlers. And also the pitches were horrible. They had literal chunks of manure on them. And bowlers just needed to aim at the stumps a lot to get good results. There was off-spin and leg-spin, plus cutter versions of the same. There was some swing, but not much. And back then, a lot of people thought swing was just an optical illusion. Not the batsman who missed it, but the spectators. The bouncer wasn't much of a thing. The most interesting form of bowling was actually the lob bowlers, who underarmed the ball high up in the air. Bowling was basic, because that was what was really called for. But with the advent of liquid manure 
And I am sorry if I keep going on about this, but there's a video I made on YouTube as well. Cricket changed when liquid manure came in. Before that, it was shit, and it got decidedly less shit afterwards. Although, bowlers may disagree. Anyway, people were also working out general pitch science. So the wickets that were terrible were getting better, and bowlers had to start thinking a little bit more. The magic delivery was really first seen in the nets at Oxford, where Bosanquay would drop one into his leg spin armory and watch his teammates look confused. And while it was a deadly ball, he struggled to keep it and most of his leg spin on a good line and length. He wasn't a leg spinner, he was just playing in the nets. It wasn't until 1900 that he even started using it regularly. He dismissed the left-handed Sam Coe. Coe was on 98, and the ball bounced four times. It was seen as a joke then, and I suppose now. Considering he had this weapon, his bowling figures in first-class cricket are good. Not great. Taking around 105 wickets for 23 in 1899 and 1900 combined, he took 105 wickets for 23, which sounds great in today's money, but it was not spectacular in that era. In 1901, he slipped to only take 36 wickets at 37. But by 1903, his all-round skills were enough to get him on a tour of Australia. He would play seven tests over two years. When he was dropped, it was because his very good first-class batting, 20 hundreds and an average of 33, hadn't transferred over, and his top scores in tests was only 27. But with the ball, he took 25 wickets at 24. But he did have a very high economy rate of 3.7. His overall figures looked good but he was very hit or miss. He averaged 47 in the team's first innings of the match and 18 in the second. And he was treated more like a part-time oddity than a real bowler, despite taking 6 for 51 at the SCG and 8 for 107 in Nottingham. He was very much seen as the father of the Bosey, but he never really mastered his own monster. The wrist should be cocked, but not stiffly cocked. I've seen some young bowlers with very stiffly cocked wrists, and if you do it, the ball falls out of your hand. You're not spinning it at all. Shane Warne's the perfect example of how to do it because his wrist is cocked, but not cocked too much. And this was an incredible creation. All the balls invented at that point did what you would expect them to do, with swing still being mastered. You could only assume most balls swung early from the hand, Off-spin and the off-cutter were easy enough to pick, the same as leg-spin and the leg-cutter. Perhaps the only real wild balls were the ones that moved off the seam. But with wickets getting better, that was happening less. So now imagine, in this world of fairly black and white, that the wrong one was like looking through a kaleidoscope after dropping acid. Not that kaleidoscope and acid were probably the biggest things in the world back then. I have no idea if they were invented. In fact, maybe I should just let this peter out. The most important thing is, it looked like one ball, but behaved like another. It went the other damn way. It was a ruse that led to embarrassment, a party trick that could be used in game situations. People thought it was an unfair advantage. In a gentlemanly sport like this, one should tell one's opponent what ball is coming next. In fact, if it hadn't have come from a gentleman, it might have been ruled unfair. When Tom Walker bowled round arm at Hambledon in the 1700s, he was stopped from doing it. 
when the amateurs took up the cause, it was harder to stop them. And the genius of the googly then and now is that it's not like the doucerer or flipper. It's a ball that many people can deliver, and it still can't always be picked. You could teach this to others, and Bozenkwe did. The first bowler to really pick it up was Reggie Swartz. He was a young batsman from London who went to the prestigious St Paul's School, and he and Bozenkwe played together for Middlesex, and then shortly after they toured Philadelphia together. Then Swartz immigrated to South Africa and was soon one of their better cricketers. On South Africa's tour of England in 1904, he met with Bozenkwe, who gave him lessons on this invention. When Swartz got back to South Africa, he taught his Transvaal teammates, Bert Vogler, Aubrey Faulkner and Gordon White about this new delivery. They all took to it. In first-class cricket, only one of these men would go on to average more than 20 with the ball. That was White. He averaged 20.05. The BOSI turned non-bowlers into stars. Chances are, you think about South Africa as this great, proud cricket nation. Probably as a team that before their apartheid ban were about to take cricket by storm, and since then have certainly been one of the best teams in cricket, and for a long time, one of the best test sides on earth. But that isn't the South Africa we are talking about. At this point in their development, They had played five series, and their biggest achievement was a draw against an Australian team who had played straight off the boat from England. Despite playing second-string England teams, they had lost 10 of their first 11 tests spanning 17 years, and there was little hope of them getting better. So think about South Africa the next time you slag off some developing team for not getting better quicker, because this is a recurring theme that will come up again and again in this podcast series, or Anytime that you look into test cricket, it takes a long time to get good at this game. South Africa also played a lot of their cricket on matting, and they had never played a test away from home. England would beat them, sending over players whose only first-class match was the test against them. These were basically players on a jolly. In their first test, England rolled out Charles Aubrey Smith as their captain. He took 5 for 19. He never played another test and ended up as a Hollywood actor. Basically, Ian McKellen beat South Africa in a test. That's how bad they were. I know what I'm trying to do. It's going to come out the back of the hand like that, and it's going to spin from left to right. But I don't know how far it's going to spin. I'm going to try and spin it as much as I can with overspin. But what the batsman doesn't know, even if he does pick it, is how much it's going to bounce. Okay, so that'll look a bit like this. So that one didn't bounce much. So he might have gone forward to think it's going to bounce, but it hasn't bounced much. So that's okay. So don't worry if they can pick him. They don't know how far it's going to spin and bounce. On that tour of 1905-06, England sent another second-string team to play South Africa. They would play six debutants. Neither Jack Hobbs or Sid Barnes played, arguably the two best cricketers of that era. But they were only playing South Africa. It's just that this South Africa had never existed before. In the first test, England won the toss and batted. Reggie Swartz and Aubrey Faulkner opened the bowling. Leg spinners often opened the bowling back then. Spinners in general often opened the bowling back then. But even so, South Africa opening with two leg spinners was something different. Later, Bert Vogler and Gordon White would bowl. Faulkner took four wickets. Vogler, two. England were bowled out for 184. Sadly, none of South Africa's top five made it to double figures, and the team ended up nine short of their hundred. But when they bowled, 
Faulkner took another four wickets. Vogler took another two wickets. And South Africa's leg spinners took 12 of England's 20. They more than did their job. But South Africa still had to chase 284. In their 22 previous innings, they'd only scored that many runs once. At 105 for six, with Faulkner and Sinclair, their two best batsmen, out, a bit of a partnership happened between Dave Norse and Gordon White. They put on over 100, but when White was out, Vogler and Swartz followed quickly. And with nine wickets down, South Africa needed 45 runs to win their first ever test. Only one other partnership in the match had been over 50 for South Africa. But Percy Sherwell, South Africa's captain and keeper, came in. And he was not a usual number 11 batsman. They put on what might still be South Africa's most amazing partnership. And with the scores level, Percy Sherwell hit a boundary. And with that, South Africa had won a test. Their tail had got them over the line. Their leg spinners had set up the win. The next test, the leg spinners took 11 wickets. South Africa won four tests in the series. They took 95 wickets. Their leg spinners took 43 of those at 19, almost half of their wickets. It would be extraordinary if leg spin took that many wickets in a series in Asia. But for it to happen in South Africa, with South African spinners, that was just, well, I mean, it doesn't make sense looking back. And it certainly didn't make sense to any England people at the time. Especially now, in modern cricket, perhaps other than West Indies and New Zealand, there's no other team that ignores wrist spin the way that South Africa has throughout so many years. But that's how they beat England. They would only beat them one more time in 1910 and 1911, but they didn't win another series in Test cricket until 1930-31. That just shows what an incredible achievement it was and that they got there with leg spin just makes it... I mean, I can't give you a word because... I know this story and I've read about it and I still find it hard to think that at one stage South Africa were the heartbeat of leg spin. Oh, and that's a good delivery from Cardia. The Rongan has come back quite sharply. There may have just been a little bit of inside edge there from Hughes. And once again, Cardia has had the better of the Australian captain. Certainly a Rongan spinning from off the leg. Got in between a little inside edge, but he beat him completely in flight. And the Australian skipper not picking that delivery out of the back of the hand at all. A fine performance by the leggy. A vital time for Pakistan now. First wrong and bowled by Kadir. He bowled an over of leg spinners. Previous over, then a wrong one. Yallet went for the drive. The ball turned out of the rough. Probably stopped on him a little bit. And Jarvid Miandad at first, but brought off an excellent catch. Oh, beautiful Bosey. Well... It's a turning pitch out there, and Imran Khan has put his faith in Abdul Qadir. The wicketkeeper's not picking which way they're spinning, and neither is the batsman. And I can remember Qadir wrapping up Kim Hughes in similar fashion, fashion in the first test in Perth. And that was a beautiful delivery, not only the fact that it turned back, but it beat him in flight. Well, that's a good delivery, well bowled, Qadir. The Roman and Richard Gabriel didn't see that one at all. Getting back in a position to cut the leg break. But a leg break it wasn't, as Richard Gabriel found out to his cost. There are a lot of people who can't get Kadir's wrong, and that was an absolutely beautiful ball coming back a matter of a foot. It is amazing the power this ball still has. Over 100 years later, in a format of the game that wasn't even really a glimmer in cricket's eye, the wrongen, Bosi, Googly is now reborn as a T20 weapon. I work as an analyst with cricket teams. Every cricket team wants one, two, maybe even three leg spinners in their team. 
the idea that you could still spin a ball both ways is so magical and so incredible. And the fact that a lot of batsmen still can't pick it and that bowlers are staying ahead of the game. Modern leg spinners hold the ball in a different way as to try and hide the wrong and better. Spinners like Abdul Qadir, who sort of kept this beautiful art alive, he had many different versions of the wrong and, and Rashid Khan seems to have even more again. It's just this beautiful thing that won't go away. And I love that T20 cricket is now beholden to this silly invention by someone playing a game called Twisty Twisty. To me, it just tells you everything about cricket. But it hasn't always been that way. And we think of these things as just part of our game. But for Bozenkwe, he had a troubled relationship with his own creation. You see, as often happens in cricket, and we can stop here if you'd like to talk about the West Indies using four fast bowlers, or we can stop here if you'd like to talk about Pakistan and reverse swing. But essentially, when something new comes into cricket, everyone decides that it just isn't cricket. Arthur Shrewsby and his 59 first-class hundreds said the ball wasn't fair. AC McLaren, an England captain who once suggested that he wanted to be a dictator of a cricket team, also suggested that the googly would be the end of activeness in batting. I'm not really sure what that means, but it sounds like to me the old fellas just couldn't pick this ball. But there was certainly a lot of anti-wrong and chat at this point. By the end of his career, Bozenkwe, the genius, the mad wizard, barely bowled his own creation. He only delivered 709 balls in his last seven seasons. This is from Bozenkwe in the Morning Post newspaper under the heading, The Scapegoat of Cricket. Poor old googly. It has been subjected to ridicule, abuse, contempt, incredulity, and survived them all. Deficiencies existing at the present day are attributed to the influence of the googly. If the standard of bowling falls off, it is because too many cricketers devote their time trying to master it. If batsmen display a marked inability to hit the ball on the offside or anywhere in front of the wicket and stand in apologetic attitudes before the wicket, it is said that the googly has made it impossible for them to attempt the old aggressive attitude and make the scoring strokes. But, after all, what is the googly? It is merely a ball with an ordinary break produced by an extraordinary method. It is not difficult to detect, and, once detected, there is no reason why it should not be treated as an ordinary breakback. However, it is not for me to defend it. If I appear too much in the role of proud parent, I ask forgiveness. You wonder what Bozenkwe would have thought about his creation being the last thing Don Bradman saw in tests. The ball that stopped him averaging 100 runs. I was not aware that it was going to be my last innings. And it was a pretty emotional occasion because Yardley called all his fieldsmen around and they all gave me three cheers before I took block. Holly's bowling and Don playing perhaps his last test innings here. And Holly pitches the ball up slowly and he's bowled. Bradman bowls Holly's not. Bowled Holly's not. It was dead silence when he got bowled. Amazing. You could hear a pin drop. Right round the ground, the great man had been bowled for a duck. What do you say under those circumstances? I want you to see a ball very clearly. In your last test in England, the ground where you played out some of the biggest cricket of your life, and where the opposing team have just stood round you and given you three cheers, and the crowd has packed you all the way to the wicket. 
I was a trifle unlucky in, in the sense that I played at the ball and actually hit it on the inside edge of the bat and pulled it onto the stumps. But I think if I'd taken a, a little bit more care, I might have got away with it. But that's one of the things that happens in the game of cricket. Bozinque would have had a great life, even if he didn't play cricket, coming from that family, being the man he was. But that might not have been the same for a young bloke from Nepal called Sandeep Lamachani or a brilliant young Afghanistani leg spinner called Rashid Khan. What I love about this delivery is it helps South Africa feel like they're a test nation. What I love about it today is that it goes on and on, and every new generation seems to find it. We keep hearing that leg spin's going to die, and that fast bowling's going to kill it, and that uncovered wickets are going to kill it. But time and time again, this simple art from this late 1800s just keeps coming up. It is such a brilliant thing. And it says so much about cricket, this ball. It came from the very top, the very peak, the one percenters of England. And it's now used by Afghanistani and Nepalese people that we didn't even think would ever like cricket, that we didn't think would ever be any good at cricket. And yet here they are using this delivery of the upper class of English establishment and embarrassing everyone with it. It's such a beautiful thing. This ball helped change cricket for the better. It did it 100 years ago, and it's still doing it today. I don't care what you call it. I really don't. I love this delivery so much. Call it whatever you want. I love the googly, the bosi, and the wrongin. Double Century is hosted and written by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston is the producer. This episode was fact-checked by Abhishek Mukherjee and Bertie Moores. Double Century is brought to you by the people on Patreon who support me, so please, if you can, go over there. And to those who already do, thank you very much. This is a new podcast. This is a series that we're doing. There's going to be 11 episodes in the first series. Please review, share, do all the things that you can do on social media to help this podcast. This is the first series, but we're hoping for another series. But obviously, we have to make sure that the podcast actually gets successful. So if you liked what you heard here, please help us out in any way that you can. Thank you for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.